2: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation.
2: You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you.
4: The danger they endured.
0: They said my head should be cut off.
4: I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello, and welcome to Saver production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum,
0: and today we're talking about
1: picnics. Yes. <laughs> and I would like to start a story with a picnic basket um, because this idea has been on my mind since I went to a Weird Al concert a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And this was courtesy of our coworker and friend, Alex Williams. Uh huh. Which, if you haven't checked out his new show that I semi produce, Ephemeral. You totally should.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's super excellent.
1: It is. But anyway, he gave me some free tickets to the show because he had some family members cancel. um, And it was outdoors on the grass, and you could bring in your own food and drink. And the people in front of us had our attention the whole time because they had this picnic basket that blew our mind and everybody around us. We were not the only ones that were staring at the, this picnic basket because uh-huh. it was like steampunk and it had these leather straps on the Ooh. inside for plates and utensils, champagne flutes. But they didn't have the, the bottoms and there was this thing you could put them in in the picnic basket. Oh, wow. But the B.S. <laughs> it had a fan. A fan? A fan inside blowing to keep—that's wild. I mean, in Atlanta, in the summer, yeah. a picnic basket with a fan. Dang. <sighs> my mind. You are impressed. I was very impressed. And I, at one point, because I, I was kind of having a side conversation about it with my friend on the right, and at one point I turned to Alex, and I overheard him and his wife, and they were talking about the picnic <laughs> basket, too. It was awesome. Ah, Anyway— also, an Easter egg, we had to make a promotional video once yes. for this very show, uh-huh. and there's a scene toward the end where we're having a picnic with several of our past topics like pineapple, fried chicken. Yeah,
0: all of these food items from past episodes that we had done, right?
1: Exactly, and it was in Piedmont Park, and they were filming Avengers Infinity War <laughs> right next to us, and they can't, like technically kick us out, but I could tell they were annoyed. They were getting real ready to do it. Yeah, they they
0: were like, I, I think that we had to time our shots very carefully because they kept like, like trouncing across the background with all of these uh, giant like rig works that they were getting ready to set up. So if yeah. we had gotten there like an hour later, I don't think we could have done it.
1: Yeah, there, there was some guy in a golf cart. who was just driving around, <laughs> clearly waiting to tell us, you got to get out of here. Yeah. It was the scene in the beginning where Dr. <laughs> Strange comes in and is like, yo, Tony Stark, we got a big problem here. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and when I was thinking about this, I, I have had some successful picnics in my day, and they mostly are or were at concerts or shows once in front of the Eiffel Tower. But I'm usually more of a a packed lunch or a cooler situation.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I usually have a lot of snacks with me. A picnic is not something that I would organize on my own because I'm like, oh man, that's a lot. But mm-hmm. um, but, I, but I've got, I've gone to a few. I had a really excellent uh, uh, friends going away picnic. Uh, I mean, I'm sad that she went away, but I'm glad that we got to have a nice picnic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I One of my most successful dates that turned into one of my least successful dates oh, at the no. end of the <laughs> evening started with a picnic. Oh.
1: <laughs> well, I'm very curious about that. I'll ask you later. <laughs> but this all brings us to our question. Ooh, picnics.
0: What are they? Well, Sometimes you take food outside and you eat it there instead of eating it inside.
1: It's a very simple explanation. Usually the ones that have simple explanations, it's like in the word, <laughs> yeah. but it's not in the word here.
0: No, no. And I, 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 I can uh, make it a little bit more complicated for you if you want. Perfect. Sure. Um, yeah, a picnic is a meal prepared uh, to be taken and served outdoors, often all pre-cooked and pre-assembled so that you don't have to do any work other than unpacking once you reach your destination. Um, it's sometimes uh, brought to parks that have tables or even grills or even you bring your own grill wild. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes uh, uh, brought to be served out on blankets, on the grass, often packed up in special basket sets or coolers or something like that. On a picnic, you might play lawn games or or you might be on a picnic in order to watch a sporting or art event of some kind or, uh, or you might bring a picnic lunch with you as you're going berry picking or on a hike in the woods or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun times in Europe, I think it seems like the word picnic is applied to outdoor events of many kinds. Mm-hmm. Of note, there's an annual science picnic in Poland. It's been running since 1997, and um, it doesn't seem to necessarily be food-related, but rather just like a, like a big public science festival uh, thrown by the National Public Radio of Poland and by the Copernicus Science Center. That sounds fun. I know. I want to go to this thing now.
1: Wow. Well. Yeah. Put it on our field trip list. Mm-hmm. Some popular picnic options in the U.S. are fried chicken, potato salad, watermelon or other fruit, lemonade, beer, hot dogs, pie, deviled eggs, sandwiches. Uh, wine, cheese, bread, cold cuts, cut fruit, cut vegetables,
0: chips, dips, handheld baked goods, uh, chicken salad, tuna salad hmm. Yeah. hmm. And there are all kinds of traditions around the world. I would love to hear some of y'all's from wherever it is that you hail from. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, ongiri and pickles in Japan, warm weather Christmas picnics in Argentina, uh, yerba mate in Brazil, scotch eggs in Britain, hot tea in New Zealand. Apparently, picnicking is a super big deal in Turkey, and there are thousands of parks, like kind of specifically for picnics throughout the country.
1: Oh, yes, please write in about that. Yeah. And we do have some picnic numbers.
0: (laughs) Okay, so the world's largest picnic basket is—it's a building that's shaped like a picnic basket. Oh, will
1: wonders ever cease.
0: It is seven stories tall. It's over 200 feet wide. That's about 60 meters. Um, And, yeah, it's made to look like a big woven basket, like gaps in the weaving are the windows. It does have two giant handles on the roof. Yeah. Mm Um. It was built in 1997 as the headquarters of the basket-making company uh, Longaberger. Yeah, cost 32 million dollars to build it. Hoo, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and it looks like their iconic picnic basket. It, it even has like the little brass plate on oh. the top of it. Anyway, yeah, uh, the company has since fallen on rough times and abandoned the building.
1: It's abandoned. Uh,
0: yeah, I think that. Or, mm, I think as of 2016, no one was in it.
1: Oh. Um this is rife for a horror movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have got to give this more thought later. There's an abandoned picnic basket building. <laughs> yeah. That I could shoot a horror movie in.
0: Yeah. At at the time I think it had like maybe reverted to um to to the local government ownership um and was possibly for sale for as little as like six hundred thousand dollars.
1: Oh. We can do this, Lauren. Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs>
1: we got to get a Kickstarter going. <laughs> we have a picnic building all to ourselves soon enough. All right.
0: I need this horror movie to involve giant ants
1: for it, sure. Oh, yes. Ooh, okay. Okay. I need to focus. Um, some places on our very own Beltline offer baskets with food for the park, um, for Piedmont Park. And the Beltline, in case you don't know, is sort of like a converted railway, walkway.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, it's it's for— a. Uh, uh, um, Humans to move across. Oh, that's not very descriptive. It's it's for
1: walkers and bike riders and stuff like like the High Line in New York. If you've been to that, sure.
0: And yeah, no. This is a this is a whole business in many places around around the world. Um, uh, Lots of restaurants and caterers will offer um, uh, sometimes literal baskets. They will pack up for you, ranging from simple sandwiches to whole spreads with like steak and trim, cocktail and whatever
1: it is. What a fancy picnic!
0: I know. In the UK, National Picnic Week is in June. Um, and there are all kinds of holidays around the world celebrated with picnics. The one that's coming to mind is Dia de los Muertos, where um, uh, you would frequently go with your family to have a kind of little picnic in the cemetery where uh, you have family plots. Huh. But, yeah, that's, that's the one that's coming to mind. Lots more.
1: Lots more. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And I wrote picnic baskets, picnic baskets. Um, it's a mystery to all of us. But <laughs> I, I think it, it's just to reiterate how impressed I am. I didn't know there was this whole world of um picnic baskets that are very they're much more than I thought they were, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> they're more than just a basket.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And and all kinds of there's a there's a whole industry of designing these baskets and blankets. Blankets, and, yes. Mm-hmm,
1: yeah. Yeah, actually um one of our past parent companies when they bought us gave us a Picnic blanket that folds it up. It folds up and
0: you can kind of Velcro it together into a tiny little yeah, package. It's got but a handle. It's got a handle on it. Yeah, I'm still confused by that like introductory gift. But I I'm, am too, but I have used it. I, so. Gosh, I don't think I wound up taking one or if I did, it is in a box somewhere that is not <laughs> my home. Um, well al- Alas alack. <laughs> There is a surprising amount of picnic history. Oh my goodness, there is. Um, and we will get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
2: Let's hit it! Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a wave. Surfing! Give me a city tour. The trolley! Give me animals. The zoo! Give me some sea life. <laughs> <laughs> Give me museums. The Give me a woo! roller coaster what's that spell San Diego if you're happy and you know it San Diego is the place to show it book your family vacation at san Diego.org, funded in part with the city of San Diego tourism marketing district assessment funds
4: this is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast to live and die in LA I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half it's called to die for here's a clip
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And before we get too deep into the history, we really have to talk about where the word comes from.
0: Yes, yes, because a lot of the internet will tell you that it has a racist background.
1: Yeah, uh, most of your first results will be pages looking into whether or not it is racist or the practice is racist.
0: Yes, and this is partially a misunderstanding that stems from a rumor that the word picnic comes from uh, murders and lynchings of black people in America during the 1800s and 1900s, um, that it originally meant to pick an
1: N-word to murder. Right. Um, It does not. It does not. Um, Historians agree that the word derives from a mid-1600s French word, pique-nique, referring to essentially foodies or snobs who bought their own wine when going out. Uh, The pique most likely referred to either picking at your own food or just pick um, what are you going to contribute. The neek was probably just a silly or nonsense rhyming word um, or possibly maybe an obsolete term meaning trifle or a small amount or nothing whatsoever. Picnic neek translated to each pick a bit. The word appeared in Origine de la langue François de Ménage in 1692, which historians take to mean it had been around in that country for a while. Mm-hmm. It popped up even earlier, though, with a different meaning. In 1649's Les et effets de bérequettes ou l'amitié durable de la compagnie des frères bacanique de pique-nique. Oh, oh, my goodness. Such a long title. Why? Why? Uh, <laughs> French. <laughs> French. This was a burlesque satire, and the character Picnic is a hero, but also a glutton, out of place when compared to the food shortages and the background resulting ah. from his, his rebellion. So historians speculate that it's an ironic name that had an association with over-the-top meals born from the expense of others. It didn't appear in English until eighteen hundred.
0: But, uh, yes, yes, Uh, the the etymology of the word aside,
1: an estimated 4,000 lynchings of black people did take place in settings similar to a picnic between 1882 and 1962. From historian Philip Dre, quote, lynching was an undeniable part of daily life, as distinctly American as baseball games and church suppers. Men brought their wives and children to the events, posed for commemorative photographs, and purchased souvenirs of the occasion as if they had been at a company picnic. And there are a lot of truly horrific stories out there. Yes. Um, people
0: have been terrible. Mm-hmm. And there are, if if that is a uh, a piece of history that you are interested in researching, there is certainly very upsetting information out there for you.
1: Okay, but... With that out of the way, it's yes. hard to make transitions from something as terrible as that. Yes. Uh, okay. The first fancy meals enjoyed outside probably took place in the Middle Ages when hunting was all the rage among the well-to-do. And art from this period like Robin Hood or the Bayou Tapestry feature picnics.
0: Yeah, these would have been banquets for the ruling class and royalty, uh, prepared and carried and served by dozens of servants. Although woven baskets might have been used to carry the food and dishware like even back then as they're so light and strong. Just makes sense. Convenient. Art from China around the same time, like 900 CE or so, depicts picnics as well. Elaborate lunches staged on brightly colored rugs with all this fancy dining wear like cast bronze coated in gold or silver and intricately etched. Uh, Lots of servants in attendance there, too. Later Chinese designs, circa the fourteen to sixteen hundreds, ditched the the weighty metal for bamboo lacquerware. Um, these really smartly nesting pieces with a with a core of wood uh, coated in in lacquer, uh, several layers of lacquer, and then an outside layer of sturdy woven bamboo. And yeah, it would keep the contents insulated like a thermos and was waterproof. Popular among wealthy folks living in cities, Chinese lacquerware would spread to Japan and was expanded into. Varyingly fancy stuff from, like, relatively simple red and black party wear, to super elaborate gilded picnic cabinets. These portable lunch cabinets had, like, tiers of trays and spaces to hold plates and cups of different sizes and often a little niche where you could secure a sake bottle or teapot. In Tokyo and Kyoto, these picnic sets were, were often wedding gifts.
1: Oh. Yeah. And for a long time, picnics were squarely an activity for the rich. Oh, yeah. Because you didn't have time or funds for a leisurely meal outdoors if you weren't. Right, right. You
0: might be served a meal outdoors if you were working in a field, or you might take your lunch along with you, but it wasn't like a, oh, let us retire to the blanket. Yes,
1: exactly. This started to change around the 1700s in Europe. However, at the time, a lot of these picnics took place indoors. Anyone invited had the option to bring a dish or drink or simply pay their share. They had this air of refined, intelligent, witty back-and-forth, like a verbal chess match, complete with food and drink. Tete-a-tete en picnique, as Jean-Jacques Rousseau wrote. Some bigger picnics went all out, with music and dancing, sort of like a ball. Lady Mark Coke described a subscription ball in Hanover called a picnique in 1763— Author Cornelia Wright fondly described a picnic of dancing and song in 1777 while in Toulouse. And this was the same time the first restaurants were opening in Europe. And the same people who picnicked excitedly checked out these restaurants and sometimes would bring, like, a picnic to a restaurant, from what I understand. Huh. Mm-hmm. I okay. think that's still a thing. Okay. In some places.
0: Well, I mean, you need snacks along the way.
1: <laughs> of course, <laughs> for your your long trick. To eat. You need a basket of food to eat. Yeah. Then along comes the French Revolution. A lot of those who had the means to picnic fled France. Some went to Austria, Prussia, or the US, but most went to nearby Britain and specifically London. While their financial situation was tighter than before, these French aristocrats introduced the British to the picnic. This had two main consequences. <laughs> the first one's my favorite. One, for a hot minute, picnics became a bit wild and a lot less refined. Uh, And this was thanks to a group called the Picnic Society, the brainchild of 200 rich British Francophiles. They rented out space in buildings on Tottenham Street for their lavish gatherings. And each attendee was tasked with bringing a dish and six <laughs> bottles of wine <laughs> each. Yes, it was going down for real, as oh, they say. Oh, man. Every member tried to be the most extravagant with their offerings. Post-dinner, the festivities continued with dancing, gambling, but the play was the main event. And it wasn't a professional play. There was no orchestra. The actors weren't professionals. The stage was really small and kind of cobbled together. But everyone loved it. Huh. To the point that the owner of the Drury Lane Theater noticed the dent this picnic thing was putting in his sales. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a politician and a journalist, and had enough sway to shut the picnic party down.
0: Ah.
1: This was well known enough an affair that a cartoonist depicted it in a piece called "Blowing Up the Picnic," and in it you can see the theater owner that got the thing shut down in a harlequin outfit, an empty purse on his belt—you know, no money—leading uh-huh. uh, professional actors <laughs> into battle against the picnic <laughs> puppets on their small, crude stage, ah. and all the lavish food strewn about in the background wow it's pretty good yeah it's pretty good All right. The other consequence (laughs) was longer lasting. The middle class started picnicking. And the reason why is a bit muddled. It could be that the British were already doing it and just applied a fashionable French word to something that they did already, um, especially those that had hopes of rising the ranks in society. Mm -hmm. The picnic dropped the music and dancing part largely and became more like how we know it today. A meal, a host invited others to attend. It took on an innocent connotation, perhaps due to the, its association with the countryside? Uh, yeah.
0: The, the late 1700s and early 1800s brought romanticism into fashion in Europe, uh, a sort of longing for a return to nature, uh, considering civilization and industrialization forms of corruption. Uh, so there was this increased interest in, in parks and in countryside
1: excursions. Yes. The Courtship, Merry Marriage, and Picnic Dinner of Cock Robin and Jenny Wren, a children's book written in 1806 by John Harris, is the first instance of this type of picnic on record. Jane Austen's 1816 work, Emma, featured an Awkward Picnic, um... Soon after, the picnic made its way to the United States, where it mm-hmm. took on more of a get-away-from-it-all attitude. Um, and not in the same kind of innocent countryside way. Close, but not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Art from this time included picnics with the backdrop of old, twisted trees and jagged rocks. At the same time, France, with a fresh new monarchy, went back to indoor picnics. Um, And they just, to me, they just seem like dinner parties. I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) uh, again, particularly for the rich, author George Sand described picnicking 16 hours in a restaurant. In 1839. That is a long picnic. <laughs> However, <laughs> picnicking was no longer reserved exclusively for the aristocracy in France. Um, not only the middle class, but the working class started picnicking. You can see this in 1877's La Samoire by Emile Zola when the financially strapped couple threw an indoor picnic for their wedding. Five francs each got the invitees, invitees excuse me, soup, rabbit stew, ham, brie, and other cheeses, fruit, coffee, and brandy, which sounds pretty good to me. Mm -hmm. A little before this work came out, some French people did start picnicking outdoors, but um, most regarded that practice with a lot of uh, concern, perhaps. Uh It had an air of sinfulness, of wickedness. And you can see that reflected in 1862 in Manet's Le Déjeuner sur l'herbe. Two fully dressed men enjoying a picnic with a naked woman and a bather, also a woman, uh, wearing practically nothing. Huh. Yeah. (laughs) A little book we've discussed on this show before, Mrs. Beaton's Book of Household Management, had instructions on how to have a good picnic. And if you remember, this book was all about being accessible, not intimidating. Um, For 40 40 people, she suggested things like four roast chickens, four meat pies, four dozen (laughs) cheesecakes, two roast ducks, cold roast beef, a large plum pudding, chilled, three dozen quart bottles of beer, brandy, sherry, and claret. I would totally be in. I would be so excited Oh, to my go to goodness. That. I have never seen such a
0: fancy picnic. Mm-hmm. Um, the section also included a list of things not to be forgotten, oh, yes. including horseradish, a bottle of salad dressing, a bottle of vinegar, good oil, mustard, pepper and salt, pounded sugar, lump sugar, teacups and saucers, teapots and corkscrews. Very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the English were pretty into outdoor picnics throughout the Victorian era. Lots of societies and clubs from, like, sports to academics to religious groups held annual picnics. Uh-huh. And this is when the picnic hamper or or basket um, that we think of today made of a wicker or wood and and leather or cloth that evolved during this time.
1: hmm their popularity soared to such heights that businesses started selling specialized picnic baskets.
0: Yeah, yeah, packed with uh, travel tableware and portable kettles and burners and ready-made meals, Um, everything from meat pies and hothouse fruit, so fancy, ooh, mm-hmm. to uh, to wild duck that required no cutting, ooh. thank you very much, uh, ragu of veal, lobster salad, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. And in England, these hampers were particularly popular among spectators at sporting events like derbies. Apparently, on Derby Day— carriages would start lining up to pick up a, a, a posh picnic basket from um, from Fortnum and Mason starting at 4 o'clock in the morning.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, apparently, rich British and American tourists in the middle of the 1800s would picnic at battlefields um, of the Crimean War and the American Civil War, like like just hoping to check out some action, like they don't have Netflix, so this is yeah. how they make their fun. Huh.
1: Okay. Don't like it. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Uh, The expression no picnic, meaning not fun, was first recorded in 1888.
0: And in the U.S., as um, as cemeteries, like park-like rural cemeteries, started to be built on the outside of city centers with grand architecture and, and statuary and gardens um, through the latter half of the 1800s, people took to picnicking in cemeteries, um, either in like private-ish fenced-in areas with their own family plots um, or in more public areas. These were kind of America's first public parks.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, in, in, in the city sense anyway.
1: Hmm. It wasn't until the 20th century the outdoor picnic entirely lost its stigma and surpassed the indoor variety and popularity. And this was in part thanks to new ways of getting out to the countryside trains. <laughs> I wanted to say the movie title: Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Trains, <laughs> Automobiles, and Bikes. Um, no planes yet. Not yet. Not and for I don't picnics. know. I mean, I'm sure some rich people have taken oh, a, gosh. a plane for a picnic, but most <laughs> of us have not done that thing. Um, we see this in 1908's "Wind in the Willows," not the plain thing. When a hungry mole <laughs> asked Ratty what's in his picnic basket, "Quote: There's cold chicken inside it," replied the rat briefly. Cold tongue, cold ham, cold beef, pickled herring, salad, French roll rolls, crests, and sandwiches. Spotted meat, ginger beer, lemonade, soda water. Oh, stop! Stop! Cried the mole in ecstasies, this is too much. Do you really think so? Inquired the rat. Seriously, it's only what I always take on these little (laughs) excursions. And the other animals are always telling me that I'm a mean beast and cut it very fine. Who knows what that means? I want to think about it later. I'm sure there's been some literary discussion around it.
0: Uh, <laughs> um, it was around this time, the um, the the turn of the 20th century, that baskets with uh, built-in spaces for tableware, all those little mm-hmm. little little loops and stuff to hold all your stuff in place, um, became popular. Then, uh, in 1911, Edward Fitzgerald published his very loose very victorian minded translation of some uh quatrains by the um eleventh century Persian poet and mathematician Omar Hayam um including the famous here with a loaf of bread beneath the bough a flask of wine a book of verse and thou beside me singing in the wilderness and wilderness is paradise now yeah, yeah. sweet lovely. Yeah. yeah a wording varies again that's a that's a i Mr. Fitzgerald was was doing it very Victorianly, um, mm. but uh, but yeah, you get the
1: you get you get the idea. Mm-hmm. From a 1912 New York Times article quote: "A few cold fried chickens, some peanut sandwiches, a big paper sack full of Saratoga chips, some potato salad and a fruit jar, two or three kinds of jelly and bread and butter, a couple of chocolate cakes and a coconut cake, and a freeze of strawberry ice cream and a few accessories <laughs> were practically all we expected at a picnic dinner in those days." <laughs> It was customary for people who went on picnics to go to a certain spot where there was a small river the size of a creek with some right, respectable-sized cliffs on both sides. The advantages of this place were that it was 12 miles away, which meant a long drive home by moonlight or starlight, as the case might be. It didn't matter much, and there were a lot of rocks in the creek where the girls could cross over to the other side to make anybody desire to be there. One of the great problems (laughs) in making arrangements for a picnic was the selection of a chaperone. We usually succeeded in getting hold of somebody only about four or five years older than ourselves, and then one of the boys would fix it with an older brother to go along and look after her and keep her mind occupied. The day after the picnic, the local paper would write it up and close by saying that a delightful time was had. And that was the truth. Wow. Mm-hmm. And there are so, so many... Picnic bill affairs out there from, like, this general era, mm-hmm. and they're fascinating and specific. Like, the Fire Island costume party picnic menu. Oh. oh okay. I wanted to include so many, but, cool. you know. It, yeah. <laughs> I only have so much time for a picnic bill affair. <laughs>
0: um, the lyrics to The Teddy Bear's Picnic, the song, um, were published in 1932 by Irish songwriter Jimmy Kennedy, uh, set to a composition then known as the uh, Teddy Bear Two-Step, which had been composed back in 1907. Um, a- after, it was created after that whole thing where Teddy Roosevelt was caricatured in a political cartoon for refusing to shoot this bear oh, yeah. that his staff had like captured for him and like kind of subdued, and he was like, I'm not going to kill that bear. Mm-hmm. And then there was this political cartoon that came out that was – depicting the whole thing and that's where we got teddy bears from and so then we got the teddy bear two-step and then decades later we got the teddy bear picnic unrelated mostly to teddy roosevelt um and it's a pretty weird song i don't know how much of the lyrics y'all remember to this song um but okay i'm not gonna sing it for you that would be terrible and it would get it stuck in your head for literally ever we don't want that no no nobody needs that but okay If you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down to the woods today, you'd better go in disguise. For every bear that ever there was will gather there for certain, because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. If you go down to the woods today, you'd better not go alone. It's lovely down in the woods today, but safer to stay at home. That's terrifying. (laughs) This is a (laughs) two-step? Oh, my gosh. Uh, um, There is a beautiful, just beautiful uh, piece published in the Paris Review in in 2015 about how dang creepy the song is. (laughs) Um, It's written by one Sadie Stein. um, Quote, like masons, the teddy bears guard their secrets closely and will punish any spies in their midst. The picnic sounds less innocent playtime than secret history-style bacchanal with a dash of wicker man into the bargain.
1: Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, this is going to make me see teddy bears in a whole new light. <laughs> Maybe that's what our. We got a giant ant and a big teddy bear in oh, a horror
0: movie. Oh, no. It's coming together. Okay, it is. Writes itself. Mm-hmm. In 1939, uh, Franklin Roosevelt hosted a picnic for the visiting King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, which we have mentioned before we because, have. yeah, because they served hot dogs which at. Which they it.
1: called sandwiches. Yes. <laughs> oh, controversy. Um, and then I just figured I'd mention Yogi Bear because if I don't, someone will write in. He's always after a picnic basket. Uh-huh. It's probably have to do with that teddy bear thing. I've never really considered. And then one last thing: some more recent works of art, especially literature, from what I remember, have reverted back to that kind of Manet picnicking is a symbol of moral corruption thing. Huh? Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: I don't know why. Interesting. People having fun outdoors. Gosh. No mm. one likes that. <laughs> Especially not the teddy bears. If- <laughs> <laughs> we've learned a lot today.
0: We have. We, we have. Yes. And, uh, and that, that is about all that we have to learn, I believe, about picnics on this current day. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have some listener mail for you. But uh, first, we've got a, another quick break for a word from our sponsor. start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily
4: to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
5: i'm tamika d mallory and it's your boy my son the general and we are your host of tmi new year new name new energy but
4: same old oh yeah
5: and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.
4: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
0: Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene will
4: much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you hide books, Jean. Last door
2: on business. I understand now, a wise man. Uh, a wise woman.
4: But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not
3: stupid, Jean. Something is going on and its high time. You tell me the truth.
4: Freeze, Americano!
5: Huh? Oh!
2: Jean, run!
4: So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we're back, thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with... Listener Listener
0: Mayor!
1: That's if Yogi Bear decides to attack you like I think he wants to. I've never seen Yogi Bear. I don't know what I'm talking about.
0: You've never seen Yogi Bear?
1: Nope. What? I know he wants the picnic basket, though. How did you escape it? Okay, anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Chanel wrote, I recently bought myself a cast iron pan. Congratulations, they're awesome. Yes, they are. While certainly not unheard of in Australia, cast iron pans are not standard here. I'm obsessed with it and have been cooking everything I can think of in my lovely new pan. I even went and bought six tiny baby pans to cook individual desserts in. Oh, yay. While listening to your chocolate chip cookie episode, I proudly told the empty car that I recently made a giant chocolate chip picky or cookie as you say, in my cast iron pan. Ooh! No one I know has ever seen a giant chocolate chip picky before so it was quite exciting. I'm sure the car was thrilled. Uh, <laughs> then just this weekend, my brother and I went to the shops and saw rhubarb sitting out the front of the fruit and veg shop i bought some for another cast iron experiment and told my brother that you can't eat the leaves as they are poisonous a podcast told me so. He found it amusing that I listened to podcasts about rhubarb. <laughs> we walked on to the Dutch carrots, and I informed my brother that you can eat the tops of tops of carrots. A podcast told me so. While he was laughing, an old woman who had overheard me came up and said, Wow, what can you do with the carrot tops? While I was trying to remember if you should steam them or stew them, the lady said, But don't eat the leaves of that rhubarb. It's poisonous. <laughs> the lady continued to press me on carrot details. <laughs> I tried to sneak away to purchase my fresh produce, and just as I thought I had got away from the lady, (laughs) she yelled from the other side of the shop, Hey, carrot lady, can you eat the tops of purple carrots, too? And brandished a purple carrot at me. (laughs) So thanks for being the influence of a very interesting grocery shop. I made a delicious rhubarb cobbler in my big and small cast iron pans. If we were closer, I'd save some for you. My husband had never tried rhubarb before, and the dessert won him over. Oh, yay. She sent pictures, and it looked amazing. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Yes. (laughs) I'm excited about all of this.
0: I know. Oh, that's... It's all beautiful, Mm -hmm. bringing people together, Mm -hmm. annoying them sometimes. Pretty much. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. We we
1: do our best.
0: Victoria wrote, I'm sure I won't be the only one to point this out, but you didn't mention that Pixar's Cars 3 had a scene where Lightning McQueen is relearning the ways of racing with the vehicles of legend themselves. In the training montage, all the cars went for a moonlight drive, no headlights, and so that they used to run moonshine back in the day, a spirited little alcohol history hidden within a children's movie. Huh.
1: Huh, indeed. Moonshine. Yeah. In Cars 3. You know, I I'm not gonna go into it right now, but I made Dylan listen to it the other day. My whole the Pixar Connected Universe thing Oh, uh-huh. And if anyone's interested, you should look up because Cars well, there's a lot of stuff in here about moonshine that I find fascinating that they would bring it up. Sure. I I, I have I
0: haven't I haven't seen Cars 3. Um.
1: <laughs> I can't wait I'm- to annoy you with this. <laughs> I can't wait. I forgot about that, though. Uh, So That's great. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yes. Thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com.
0: Or you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Savor is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots of more good things are coming your way.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone.
0: Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number
1: one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
2: Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation!